The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal has played a key role in helping the military community for over 90 years. You can learn more about this at NavyFederal.org. What I feel like is that I've got somebody on the run. And I'm really certain that this is an American because of the way they're, where they're running, right, and how they're running. So this communications log essentially gave me enough information to have a, a confidence factor that I had at least one survivor. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening, watching, viewing, and if you haven't yet, please go hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all of our new shows. So before we get into today's episode, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is, what is currently your favorite television series? Well, right now I'm watching um, Firefly Lane. Is that TV? What's it it's on? It's like streaming. It's like a series yeah. that's streaming. Yeah. So Firefly Lane and Ted Lasso are my two things. I was going to say Ted Lasso yeah. too. That's Yeah. Those are the that two that I'm so watching good. right now and I love. I finished The Chosen. No, I gotta, I'm in the middle of season three. I was, that's what I was watching at Exos. And then um, that's it. Oh, you liked God's Not Dead. Yeah. No. God's favorite idiot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Have you seen that? God's favorite idiot? Oh, no. man. Dude. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. I watched it when we were in Italy. It was great. Yeah. Uh, God's favorite idiot. Is I love that girl, that Melissa McCarthy. And Melissa great. McCarthy yeah, and her great. husband. And her husband is great. And the premise of the show is uh, God chose her husband to basically save the world by telling everybody that they need to believe. Um, but. He's not real good at talking to people. He's About kind that. of he's just he's very socially awkward and Oh, that's amazing. Um, that's funny. They did Yeah, it well. but Melissa McCarthy is really outgoing and boisterous, but she's kinda like raunchy in the show. They kinda have her as like a raunchy part. <laughs> she's the one that wears the ties and the flamboyant colors, so when she's trying to tell you something, you wanna listen, but you you can't get past the way they look. Like, you know that yeah. kind of those yeah. things they got. It's a good metaphor, right? It's perfect yeah. the way they patch those up. Yeah. Usually what you want to hear from is not what it's wrapped in is what upsets you. And they sent like the devil Everything. to trick them up. Oh uh, yeah. And and she comes in the form of this beautiful woman. And she's trying to trip them up and let them mess up on their path that God told them to do. And so um, and Melissa McCarthy's dating in real life. It's her husband. But in the show, she's starting to date this guy. And this beautiful woman is coming in trying to like flirt with him. And she's like, I'll kill you. 
<laughs> she's real feisty, but she doesn't realize she's actually talking to the devil. And then, um, it's yeah, funny. Ted Lasso, we're waiting for the other season to drop on Ted that. Lasso is just... It did drop. It, I mean, completely? Yeah. Uh, I think they just came out with the last episode. All right, Roger. Yeah, yeah. Ted Lasso, if you haven't watched that, the best positive messaging TV show I think anybody can watch. With a little bit of raunchy scenes in there, but really, really good underlying messaging. So, you know, humans, man, we like the little, little naughty side a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Very well done. What about y'all? Uh, I'd say that uh, because we have kids like Bluey, that's uh, that's a big one for us right now. It's um, um, Are you guys familiar with it? No. What it's a it? cartoon. I've uh, seen it. It's it's based out of Australia, but it's a really great messaging for mm-hmm. for families. What's it for on? Kids. Um, what's it on? I think it's on Netflix. Mm. Yeah. Because um, I'm a huge fan of Australia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> love the people. Love that place. Well, it's um it's one of the rare glimpses you get into something uh, that's really good programming for children, and it's got such a great positive message: male and female role models, and the mom and dad, and the way they um, interact with their children and discipline them. So it's uh, something that you don't see in America. And uh, it's just kind of caught on by it's taking taking the world by storm. I'll have to look That's that cool. up. Yeah. Another good one on Amazon Prime, I believe, called From. If you're into a suspenseful, spooky type of uh, TV series, it just came out. And it's pretty much it's anybody across the U.S. can be driving down it, like any t- sort of road. And they get stuck in this city where you cannot get out of. So that creates this whole little town of people that are trapped. And at night, there's monsters, kind of like vampire <laughs> monsters. They're like people, but sounds awful. It's intense, <laughs> and uh, they like come out and just wreck you up. It's it's awesome. That starts out Mayberry, and then just- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so crazy. It sounds like a nightmare. It is. Most people think it is. What about you, John? Lately, I've been going throwback. My favorite show right now is Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, there oh, you go. Man, Chuck Norris, man. It. Yes. That's the Trump card right there. Dude, Dude, he's he's yeah, just Chuck Chuck Norris. yeah, man. I mean, he bends down, looks I feel like the just dirt, got... and then tells you where the bad guy is. It's amazing. He shoots a car, and the hood explodes. I love this show. That's freaking <laughs> Chuck Norris, man. If you're going to do throwback, I love um, Friday Night Lights. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Freaking Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Like, like, it's been and on Why? Well, you know, I and think Golden we're Girls. linked somehow. Like, I, I was going to mention Chosen, but you stole it. Then you take Gunsmoke. I'm like, what have I got left? That's two, man. Bonanza. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I'm really looking for something, I can always settle up with Steve Harvey. Family oh. Feud kind of deal. Oh, yeah. Like they'll we, just do, they, they play replays of that over and over again. I just listen to him, man. Well, no we're walking, wa- uh, when we're cooking dinner, we typically have Steve Harvey on just to. We try it's to- like a comedy show, and he's got yeah. a game show going around him. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He's, that, he's one of those kind of guys. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big deal because the, the, the guy who runs that show, remember when it started when we were kids? Oh, for sure. I can't recall. Um, what, what was that guy's name? My grandfather used to call him old kisser because he'd always kiss the ladies that would come up on him. Oh, what was that sucker's name, man? He did a great job, too, the first one. Oh, uh, yeah, you stumped me there. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, Johnny I Carson? No, no. No. I, I, mm. If you think of it while we're doing this, throw it out there. I will. I'll start. I absolutely will. It'll come. All right. 
right. You know, I can see his forgot. face. Just now that I'm day. trying to remember this, I'm forgetting how to apply a tourniquet. So, you know, <laughs> penguins off the Something's iceberg. Something's gonna get lost. Just, <laughs> I don't remember my kid's first yeah, name, but that's uh, right. I forgot my kid's name, but I remembered that one. Oh, that's, how, that's how hard I had to burn. <laughs> well, this is gonna be fun. I'll, I'll remember this one. Okay. All right. Well, moving on. Thank you, Patreon, for that question. That was a good little memory lane. All right. Let's start this out, brother. This is going to be a good one. Like most people are not going to have any idea the way this is going to shift. But yeah. I got somebody on the show y'all been wanting to meet. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to say it. He didn't know he existed. Most people don't. It's like but the career path is crazy. The stories just before I even showed up and even after I left, his career path is crazy. Mm-hmm. But the way that uh, you came into my life was a, is a good one. So that's, that, that's another reason why you're here. We're going to talk about it. So. So Jay Harmon. Jay Harmon. We're going to start that. PJ. Air Force guy. Yeah. There's a bunch to it, but let's back it up because I don't know this myself. Let's start from the beginning, where you were born and where you came up. So uh, my parents are, are children of baby boomers. They were both in the Air Force, Army Air Corps, uh, during World War II. They met. Uh, oh, wow. So, in, okay, before this. Yeah, in New Hampshire, and I was born there. Um, and then my 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 father's side of the family is from Florida. Um, tracing their lineage all the way back to the first Florida census. So um, one of my grandfathers, my, my dad's father, um, went to, got orders to Hurlburt, and he was an intel, and, uh, but it was you know, called training back then. And uh, so he collected um, information. He was stationed in Pakistan for the U-2s and stuff like that. And um, <clears throat> so my, we moved to Florida um, from New Hampshire, and uh, my dad moved with his, his dad, you know, and, and after uh, getting established there. So I grew up uh, in Fort Walton Beach, Destin, Florida, and uh, um, probably their earliest. Um, I had uh, my aunt was a wasp who retired. Oh, I got one oh, down the road. She's 103. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. a real one. Yeah. I mean so. So you really got one too? Yes. That's awesome. And what is yeah. that? No one knows they about them. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, tell us what a wasp is. Oh, so it's a women's auxiliary service pilot. And um, so what they did is they were uh, the women that flew um, air, ferried aircraft across the Atlantic. Uh, they trained other pilots. Um, they were the safety. Uh, so if an aircraft was uh, repaired, they flew the aircraft before the men flew that aircraft to assure that it was safe to fly. And there's a myriad of other different things that they did, but... Um, and this is in the time period of World War II. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. So because there's a shortage of male pilots, um, these female pilots were recruited from all over the country. And my Aunt Mary, uh, who Mary Tilton is her name, uh, was from Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, she uh, saw a barnstormer, you know, when she was a little girl. She said, that's what I want to do. And so she grew up, graduated from high school, and... Uh, took all the money she could make and bought flying lessons and became a private pilot. And uh, so when the WASPs were stood up, she was recruited. Um, what a great and, name, too. I mean, it's yeah. That's one of the best acronyms we, we got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. SEAL, all that. That's a, WASPs are a good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the Army Air Corps, and most people has probably been forgotten, but the that, that was when we were part of the Army, right? That's right. A-R-M-Y. Um, and so she had a, a very strong disposition before she she's texan and uh so that's why she fit in so well with military service and um she was one of the first 1000 women uh that were picked up and uh the the army air corps kept her on and uh she ended up as a lieutenant colonel and um <clears throat> so most people had no idea who she was she married uh 
an enlisted man. And uh, I remember fondly as I was growing up, he used to say, come on, stud, let's go. So if that tells you anything <laughs> about the <laughs> circumstances around their marriage, but they, they didn't have any children. So I was their child. And uh, so my, my Uncle Jim would take me around to gun shows and he uh, collected uh, Ohio rifles, believe it or not. Most people call them Kentucky rifles, Kentucky, but yeah, yeah. the best rifles were made in Ohio. Uh, they were the best rifle makers. So I traveled all over the, the country uh, with and that's him. that's what Americans love to argue about. Oh, yeah, right. It's those little things right oh, yeah. there that I mean. That's what oh, I'm throwing in digs. About. I'm yeah. throwing digs right that's now. That's not my point, right? We got right a PJ there, unit in Kentucky. They're probably all like, that's fighting words. <laughs> stop people dead in They're going to burn man. my house down. I'm going to get back my that's dogs. Right. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that, that was uh, rather formative. She taught elementary school for about 20 years in our hometown and uh, raised a bunch of little citizens um, to um, know how to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, The one I got did the same thing. Yeah. She, Celeste Graves, or Miss Celeste Graves, the building's named after her. There aren't many of them. There weren't many of them that stayed and, you know, ascended in, in rank and everything, and they're all probably cut from a very similar cloth. And uh, <clears throat> so that that was uh, formative. Um my dad uh, was an avid shooter and uh, a gun collector himself. He collected old model Rugers. So we traveled around the South um, displaying his guns and my uncle displaying his. And I grew up in the um, gun culture. So competitive shooting and stuff like that was natural for me. And growing up on the coast, I loved to fish and hunt and stuff like that. And so Destin was a little different back then. It was more rural, <clears throat> to put it kindly. It was um, real beach town. Yeah. It was yeah. beach, but like forest meets the beach, wasn't it? Yeah, you could like duck hunt. Like there was woods yeah. up yeah. to... Before everybody came in. That, that's paradise yeah. right there, right? Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Uh, you could duck hunt. You know, there was plenty of, plenty of squirrels and stuff to shoot. And, but um, ended up becoming a, a Boy Scout, uh, and I was a member of uh, Troop 509, which was the Boy Scout troop for Hurlbert Field. And uh, Hurlbert, uh, its story uh, goes all the way back to the Jimmy Doolittle raid. So that that That's airstrip, too. that airstrip was created in the size and shape of an aircraft carrier deck. And then they cleared off the tree, so they were prevailing winds coming off the Gulf. And that's how they practiced uh, landing the the Mitchells. You want to talk about a pucker factor? Yeah, man. I mean, practicing on land, pulling up with a, with a line drawn across a piece of concrete, it's a hell of a lot different when that water's sitting on the other end of it. Yeah. They, they call something. Yeah, they, they used to call it balls. Ball, I think yeah, they, they, balls all around truck. <laughs> they used to or call a plane. Now they call it grid or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> So it's a little, yeah. But um, so we had one of the Doolittle Raiders that lived on the highway right there, and I, I passed by his house every day on the way to school. And so that kind of formed me up, and uh, I ended up joining the Boy Scouts, and uh, uh, my scoutmaster got killed uh, trying to rescue the hostages in Tehran. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, not nice at the time. No, I mean, you don't talk yeah. about it. That dude's a badass. Those guys yeah. are for that. Yeah, so that that was uh, unexpected. Uh, I, I, I had no idea. Um, you know, He's your scoutmaster, that kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. That's what you want right there. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what you lose kind of scout, when, right? you know, it's like, hey, you know, we're going to, um, we don't invite women into the Boy Scouts of America, so we lose all federal funding and all federal affiliations. So all those Boy Scout troops that used to be sponsored by military installations, they no longer exist. So um, we lost something there, you know, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm probably dating myself, maybe longer. Oh, we just got back into it. My kids just got old enough, so I'm doing, I'm, we're re yeah. I'm learning all about it. Yeah. Yeah. All the men in my family have the Scouts, Eagle Scouts. Yeah. We were talking about it earlier. In, in our family, you get your Eagle Scout, you get your Eagle, and you get your Black Belt. There it's you go. Black Eagles. And I mean, if you get those two things, you're set for life. 
You know, that uh, sets them up. Your ground game and then those scouts. I, I I understand. I still recite that. I teach. I mean, the, the scout creed. If you stack all the stuff that we go through, even if you didn't get your eagle, joining the, the Air Force, if the United States pins a freaking eagle on you, that's an eagle. Right? You learn so much coming through that. A hundred percent. Hundred percent, and that's uh, that. That is uh, what that ethos um, is. What carried me through, you know. And so, um, joined ROTC, you know, and then uh, in, in, in high school. In high school, yeah. So, and so I was, you were from the beginning. You were yeah. straight up brat, whole nine yards. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I had absolutely no intention on on joining the military. Um, I didn't. I really didn't think too much about it. I was kind of into surfing and skateboarding, and you know, growing up on the beach and. Well, with the constant influx of young ladies, you know, moving back and forth for um, spring break, you know, that was a, a really appealing thing too. So, um, I ended up. Uh, Sounds like it was difficult. It was tough. Yeah, yeah it was you had a tough. horrible childhood. Sorry. I was the only one that made it out. Bless you for going. Yeah, that. All, all my buddies are are still <laughs> attending bar back there. So, you got some good sh- buddies shout out back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. They're still suffering in that kind oh, of yeah, environment. Yeah. It's Poor tough. bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I uh, ended up going to Florida State um, and uh, majored. It's a great school. Yeah, yeah. I was there for Deion Sanders. I, 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 so I, I, was, a, I, I was a kind of a geek. I ended up, uh, I was an uh, electrical engineering major on a, on a scholarship. And uh so, but uh, apparently, uh, when I swapped over to alcoholism, that's not a degree awarding program. So well, undergrad. Yeah, it was undergrad. Yeah, undergrad. Um, but they they asked me, uh, you know, like I lost my scholarship, and they asked me to leave and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I said, you know, this college life isn't really for me, anyways. So I joined the Air Force. <laughs> so um, I joined the Air Force. I, uh, you know, wanted to be a pilot, um, and uh, I loved A-10s. You know, who doesn't? Yeah, right. How great is that freaking thing? Yeah, I forgot to mention that I was supposed to get a ride in one of those when I was in ROTC and the, the base commander. Sh- I never got one of those. Well, it's a it's a one it's a single seater. Single seater. But the only one they had in the inventory that was a two seater was at Eglin. What the trainers don't they have two, right? No, nope. no, nope. at all. No, nope. the only one they made they made two. I think they crashed one, but uh, they made two and they were for research, test, and development. Right. So the first time you ever go up in that sucker, you're by yourself. Yeah, man. How about that? Well, it's the same thing with a free fall rig. It's not like you're gonna have you. you the military doesn't yeah, do tandem. Yeah, you got them jokers. <laughs> Remember those rail suits they put on? Yeah. You get to be. At, yeah, at least there's one dude looking at you right before you damn die. <laughs> yeah, but it depends on how bad you hazed him, uh, you know, before the jump. Is to, is the whether or not your parachute gets open for you? You think like some guys won't mess with you on the ground? Think about that kind of humor. Oh, like, I'm gonna wait till you get in the air, and then I'm gonna start messing with you. Oh, yeah. Who does that? We got guys. Trust me. Yeah, it's called the horny gorilla for a reason, oh, dude. <laughs> stuff they can do to you flying, man. Oh yeah, for sure. Or on the ground. Oh, I, I got, uh, yeah, I uh, old Gunny Miller for me. Um, I ended up doing quite a few eight counts for that man. <laughs> mm, but anyways. You got any brothers or sisters? No. Now, I guess maybe I should trace back. Uh, my dad's an only child, and I'm an only child. Uh, so we, I got no aunts, uncles, cousins, nothing like that. And the only one left is my dad and I and our family. So it's uh, it was kind of an yeah, interesting... Yeah, but you, you backfilled that. I have, yeah. Okay, we have check. six. You got six. Yeah. Which is awesome. Great job. Yeah, yeah. She's wonderful. <laughs> I think so. We can keep her around for another minute or two. Okay, so ROTC... Yeah, ROTC, uh, joined the Air Force. Uh, uh, you know, crazy time. Uh, 
I went through some training at Keesler, you know, for uh, some secret stuff and uh, communication stuff. And uh, I called up. We used to, you could call on the phone and, and be like, hey, so where's my phone? How did you even come up with the first part? With going into doing what you wanted to do, is that just you just want to look for look for something to do, or did you like have a, did you see a TV show and like I, you mean Pararescue or the no, other no, one? No, just to join in. Oh yeah, so I, no, I you know what it, the Air Force was like. Hey, people we, wonder like how in the hell did you even get into this? Yeah, what, what no, I, you like, know like uh, people try to glamorize you know you know decisions after the fact, right? Like. You know, I, options right? options were waning. Okay, let's be clear. Going on. No one ever says. That. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't do nothing else. Yeah, yeah. It was either live on the beach and turn out like All that your old friends. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, yeah, that that doesn't seem like much of a future. And I was, uh, so I should also say that I was working on the boats, charter boats, during the summer, right? And I was making great money, but um, and it was great fishing and all that, and it was, I mean, it was awesome, but um. Yeah, you know, like you look down the dock, and after the glamorous boats are the not so glamorous boats, right? The the head boats and the you know the, the long liners and stuff like that, and uh, you see how that turns out, and that's some that's a whole other line of work. Yeah. That's uh, I, I like crab fishermen, right? I have a friend of mine who um, ended up becoming a combat rescue officer as well, and he was he did crab fishing just for the heck of it. Um, just out of like just literally to do it. Yeah. It's one of the most dangerous jobs for anybody. Well, that's what it yeah. said. Hey, most dangerous job in the world is like, oh, sh- let me try that. You know? So that's kind of the, how we're made. Right. So I joined the air force and, uh, kind of did it. And I ended up getting stationed in Panama for just cause. And then after that, I got orders to a place called Falcon air force base. And now it's called Schriever for desert storm. So that was a, like what doing year this, is this, um, like 90, um, 92, somewhere. Yeah. Through the 89 to 92 um and so uh i did that and i was i became kind of disenfranchised we had a a change of administration um and the air force is like hey you know if you want out early um you know we're letting folks out and i kind of had a difficult time uh, reconciling with this new policy you know for um that was installed by this administration so i was like you know i'm probably just i'm you know i'm running against the grain here i I could see the writing on this so i got out and I was already making good money. Uh, I was buying and selling cars and shipping them to Florida, and they were selling down in Florida. I'd buy them in the West Coast and shipping them down. And I, you know, made a little bit of money that way. And so I kind of, I did a, I applied for a significant increase in standard of living waiver. Um, it's kind of reserved for most people that like win a lottery or a contract, you know, with sports or something like that. It, that wasn't the case for me. I just was making more money. Um, so I went down. I opened a car lot. I did an auto financing company, a couple of truck accessory stores, a car audio store, and. I was running all that stuff, but I was I was really not prepared. You know, I was really young, and I I made some bad decisions, and uh, cost me a relationship that I was in. And uh, so I was like, man, you know what? I got a chance to start over. So what should I do? And so I took all the money I had, and uh, drove up to Crestview, Florida, and I said, I want to learn how to skydive. So um, talked to the guy who's running the place, and he's like. Yeah, well, you know, skydiving isn't it for everybody. You know, we can do the tandem thing. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want any of that. I just want to, I want to pay for everything, and how I want to know how much it costs. He's like, well, you know, we can get you in on the lessons, and I, and I was like, hey, look, you're not hearing me. Like, I want to write you a check right now. How much is going to cost the whole thing? He's like, how do you know this is what you want to do? I'm like, I already know. So I wrote him a check for a thousand bucks, and uh, turns out um, he was, you know, great instructor. Um, and I love skydiving and it turns out that it was, I was in my, with my peeps for the first time in my life. So everything else I'd ever done, I was always trying to kind of fit in with other people, but the skydiving community really, um, Oh, you know, when you fit in, oh man, for sure, for sure. 
And uh, back then, you know, um, th this was a little bit more, you know, in the, in the 90s, skydiving still wasn't mainstream, you know, and it wasn't like a big sport or anything like that. And it was just something I'd, I can't describe it. I just had a passion for. And uh, I ended up uh, really enjoying it. And I, it, it, there's an old saying that says that uh, skydiving will cost you your first paycheck and then half your paycheck over this, you know, <laughs> from that point on, you know, for the rest of your life. And uh, it was true. But um, my instructor was like, hey, Jay, you know, you're pretty good at this. Uh, we were sitting there drinking scotches and little lawn chairs underneath the awning, you know, for the hangar on a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And uh, he's like, hey, Jay, you know, you're pretty good at this. Uh, you ever think about doing this for a living? And I was like, uh, yeah, man, whatever. He's like, yeah, just give me a call sometime, you know, we'll, we'll go out to lunch. I was like, okay, cool. So I put it in my back pocket, never really thought about it. I just finished up the cigar, you know, and uh, went, went back down to the beach and, you know, went back to work. So uh, fast forward about a month or so, and I, uh, I'm like, you know, I gotta give this guy a call. So his name is Bob. So I call him up and I say, uh, you know, call up the number. And uh, I'll never forget, he's like, 4246, unsecure senior master, can I help you? And I'm like, uh, who is this? Is it, I'm trying to reach Bob? He's like, who is this? I'm like, this is Jay. He's like, oh man, come on out here. You know, let's go, let's go get some lunch. So it turns out that he was a chief PJ for AFSOC. I had oh, absolutely no idea. And uh, he's like, hey, you ever thought about being a PJ? And I was like, uh, oh, was a PJ? Hey, and I had been familiar with the Air Force, but it's, you know, not well advertised, I suppose. And uh, he's like, well, um, if you're interested, I, I might be able to get you a test and, you know, see what you can, see what you can do. And I wasn't in any particularly good shape or anything. I'd surfed and skated for, you know, most of my you know, young adult life. And I worked hard on the boat. So I knew how to work all day, you know, and all, all night and party all night and all that stuff. So that, that makes you kind of hard. And, um, that's our routine. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're so qualified. I fit right in. I was you're like hired. a natural. Yeah. So then there's this like a physical fitness standard that uh, when you're prior service in the air force, it's a little higher, right? So it's almost like graduation standards. So you have to run the three miles instead of running like just one mile. Yeah. You have to swim the whole mile versus swimming just a few hundred yards and, you know, the push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, flare kicks, all that kind of stuff was a little bit higher standard. So, um, yeah, he was like, yeah, if you can pass this test, I'll get you in. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me see what I can do. So I, uh, you know, basically, you know, the old scene, like, you know, put your beer down, crush out a cigarette, go for a run. And uh, turns out I, I was in fairly good shape. I could run and uh, I could swim and, and do all that other stuff. So I went and applied for the took the test uh, in August in Florida, and that was dumb. Uh, almost, probably almost, I had like heat stroke or something. Right. I threw up like crazy afterwards, uh, and they let me recover, and then I finished out the test and um, got orders to Lackland and uh, became a PJ. So I went through the pipeline, you know, and uh, we, we had a, an amazing opportunity. So you find out what a PJ is as you're going through it? No, no. Now I had to, so, so he, he's like, Hey, you ever thought of being a PJ? And so I, you, good, you know, good pimp there. Uh, I didn't know what it was. Right. So, um, Great I was like, pimp. yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, I mean, what he used to be a used car salesman. He should have hired his ass. Yeah. <laughs> he was hired. He, he, he became a chief and he was one of the world's greatest skydivers. Um, he's passed now. He got killed in a skydiving accident, but he was on, I don't know how many world records, uh, you know, for they big, for big out. ways. Yeah. He got, uh, his parachute got tangled up with another jumper. That's how he wanted to go out, right? Yeah. He, I think it was his second year after retirement. Um, but he, he, uh, he jumped into Panama 
-hmm. was one of those PJs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Missed Vietnam by just a hair. So that kind of gives you the, his generation. But he's a legend in our community and uh, in the skydiving community. When he retired, uh, the Army Airborne Band came to play uh, for him. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but that's a, that's a whole show. It's incredible. One of, the, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Wow. And uh, so he was, I mean, his, his, his legacy was sealed. Um, and he was absolutely instrumental in getting me in. And, uh, of course, he dropped some dimes on me while I was going through the end dock. He just worst, randomly, man. That's ran, randomly call up like. <laughs> the guy who gets you in, you're like, thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah, and then, man, they call up. Yeah. Like, hey, I got a guy. Hey, how's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Make sure he suffers. Yeah. Man, yeah. Hey, he's a real good dude. Yeah. Go, you know, give him some attention. You know what? That guy has an attitude. Check it. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. So we have these blocks. Uh, we had blocks out in front. You know, like the big, uh, they're almost, uh, I don't know where we got them. They're, they're not Air Force instruments of torture. They got to be Navy instruments of torture. But it's basically you get on like three pillars and then you have to do deep push-ups. So like your, your hands are way past your shoulders. Yeah. And then you got to, you know, go all the way. So those are a little bit more. Hyperflexions. Yeah. So you don't get that whole like that whole bounce thing going on. You know, you're not allowed as a PJ student, you're you're a candidate. You're not allowed to touch the ground except with your hands and your feet. But um, most people still don't even know what PJs are. How long long the pipeline is. Oh, so the PJ pipeline is uh, about two years long. So is it similar to Bud's? It's almost word like almost event for event. As a matter of fact, the Air Force version of it, though. Yeah. Imagine brothers and cousins. Yeah. But do you have like a hell week? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I did. I did. And we, we did for many years. Uh, Air Education and Training Command did away with it for quite some time. And uh, our cadre, uh, in my class, decided to bring it back. So it was amazing. Uh, so we suffered. We had a mud pit yeah. um, that they bulldozed out there in San Antonio outside the, and uh, used a fire hose to fill it up. And nobody really thought about the red ants, right? So they filled it up with water. And uh, all the red ants kind of came to the surface. They rafted up. You know, I didn't even red ants do this, but apparently they do. And then uh, they get real pissed off when you do eight counts on top of them. So they just jump all over you and bite the piss out of you. And uh, so that's a whole other level of like, you know, endurance that you're. We well, have a medical, a medical pipeline part that's, that's straight attached to it. That's the difference between range green berets. Because the Green Beret can have the medical part, but not all of them do. With PJs, that's their freaking, that's part of their pipeline. So it every is. every PJ has, has a, a paramedic. Has a medic. Okay. Yeah. So um, we used to, Marcus and I, I think you were my junior class at, at SOMC, right? Yep. So um, I went to JSOMC um, in the SEALs 2-2. We, uh, I had the two guys. We had a few SEALs in my class. Uh, was, I have some it's great... First time they all mix us together. Is well, something like this? Yeah. we. My first time dealing uh, with SEAL pups was Airborne at Airborne. Airborne yeah, Airborne. Charlie Company. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we brought all the SEALs. I brought all the SEALs back to my home in Destin, my dad's house. And he put out a big steak spread, di- steak dinner. And it was amazing. Uh, those guys, I, I don't recall their by name, but uh, I, we, it was a bond I, I will never forget. Um, and they ended up going and I learned something. Uh, so the SEALs are really good at telling stories probably better than PJs for some, to some degree. And uh, they had these girls convinced down there on the beach that they were rodeo clowns. <laughs> and uh, they were in town for the rodeo, and uh, they were going to be there for just one night. And uh, it was maybe their Always last one chance. Night. Always, uh, just Always one night. Just one night. Because <laughs> the, the next <laughs> night, they, they were going to go to a different bar for yeah, a different set different of girls, profession. run the same <laughs> different profession, run the same story. So um, 
that was amazing. Uh, I think our whole, my, all the PJs uh, that were with me, we had some control, combat controllers too, uh, learned a lot from the SEALs. We, we did a lot together. Ch at Charlie Company, we, we hazed the... So in the Air, Airborne, when you're in the Army, you go to Airborne School, it's like, you know, the instructors, the black hats, they're fairly intimidating. But we flipped the script on those guys. We That's why they don't like us. They don't like us. <laughs> and, uh, That's exactly why they don't yeah, like us. Yeah, yeah. We, we hazed them so bad. And uh, they have their own tricks. So um, a couple times I got kicked oh, we out. We flavor them with beer every yeah. morning. I mean, like four or five 24 packs that just slide it into the fridge. So when they showed up, <laughs> just because of how bad we screwed up for the day. Oh, it was, we deserved it. Uh, we got smoked all the time. All the time and, yeah. And the, and the thing is, for us, we were in, all of us were in, you know, we just graduated from our, you know, kind of like buds or whatever. So we're in the, like the peak performance of our pipeline. And so they're like, their standard is to do, all right, you know, we're going to intimidate these kids by making them do 20 push-ups, 20 push-ups. And, oh, so we made a big game out of it. We would do like 18 and then one of us would fall down or we would start over, you know, and we would just instigate the whole thing and we would just piss off the whole class because we just keep doing more and more push-ups and they'd go okay roll over belly back belly backs or you know uh, eight counts and we just because you couldn't hurt us you know and and the seals the seal pups were a lot of times the first time they ever met a pj so we were just thick as thieves because there's army oh, guys yeah. are coming in that's right after their basic yeah but we're just finished up with our advanced schools yeah, yeah. and then they throw us all together so the physical yeah is just completely different i yeah. mean you're talking about opposite ends of the yeah there's this hill heart attack hill they do that's a mile and a half two miles i don't know that we were, the guys are running around backwards that's what you get in trouble for yeah running around the formation yeah, you know, and all that like you know that, so is this at 18 delta no it's at airborne school no at oh, airborne at school airborne. at benning yeah at benning. so then you know there's like three or four girls in the whole town that you know uh are left over after all the army guys have picked them over so of course between the seals and the pjs they're all trying to fight over that you know two oh or three that gosh. are available so yeah, it's if you're inevitable. looking for a man, go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. The stories are legendary. <laughs> if you're looking for a man, go, yeah. looking for a man, go there. Go to yeah. Benning. There's like three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's crazy. There's guys running around. There's a tattoo parlor, a, uh, uh, a pawn shop, and a used car dealership. That's how you know, because then it'll be. Right. It'll yeah, be I could put a wedding chapel next to uh, <laughs> next to an Irish pub. You'd yeah. have it. You'd have oh, a lockdown. A bar, a bar. Right. <laughs> That's how you know you're in a military town <laughs> yeah. with a bunch of Joes, because it'll have that set up. So... <laughs> Yeah, I did airborne, and then uh, so our in doc is uh, I think it's ten weeks long. Uh, so and then we did Hell Week, and so there's all it, almost event for event. I've heard that it's very very similar, um, and we used to send PJs and controllers out to buds. Our instructors, I had an instructor second phase as, as a controller. And yeah, P, and PJ they interrupt. We interrupt that way. Uh huh. No remorse. Like the hardest instructors were, were PJs and controllers. You They're mean the, as instructors? Yeah, as seal yeah. instructors. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have any, I didn't experience any SEAL instructors because when we graduate the OL, um, we go directly to Army Dive, or we did. Um, we have our own Air Force Dive School, which is now next to the Navy Salvage Dive School yeah. um, in Panama City. But I and went to Key West. Our, our salvage are the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Like, if you, you should see the facility. It's, it's amazing. It's really, yeah. It's really it's cool. It's really good. Uh, but I went through the, uh, the combat dive qualification course down in Key West. And uh, which is a whole other uh, party, right? Mm. Um, depends on if people are paying attention. They hear where our schools are. Oh yeah, like, yeah. our schools suck. Yeah, but where they're at, yes, makes yes. it okay. Yeah, there's a certain amount of suffering, but yeah, then right. there's a certain amount of partying, partying that man. kind of like you know bounces it, it out and you make it through. Balance. I think I went into the school. I weighed like 185 pounds when I left the school. I think I weighed 135. 
my gosh. Yeah. Like it was four weeks long or something like that. And you eat double rations. So we had a, uh, um, they hired a chef from downtown in Key West and he prepared, like we got anything we wanted. He would make these incredibly, um, amazing seafood dishes and pasta That's dishes. That's Air Force. That didn't and, happen in the Navy. No, 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 no. This is Army. This is Army. Army Air Force Army. funding. Okay. It's Air Force funding. There's something with the Air Force. The food is like that. We're going to start to see a theme as That's this how podcast know. goes on. Yeah. As you were saying, I was like, man, we don't have that. Marcus always have says, bag, join dude. the Air Force. Oh, they have air conditioning. They have got food. They've got better lodging. Oh, we're going to amp this story up. I can't wait. We're going to keep going on this theme. Yeah. So uh, we have maid service. They turn our pillows down, oh their beds gosh, down at night. Chocolate. Yeah, it's Some pretty little. amazing. Leave a little chocolate on the pillow. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so combat dive qualification, we had a couple SEAL instructors down there. Yeah. And I tell you what, life-saving with a SEAL instructor, that was, uh, that was a life-altering event for me. almost died in that one. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever had been challenged in water confidence. Now, I've been rolled up as a surfer. I've been beat down a few times, got my face bashed in, you know, with my surfboard and stuff like that. And, you know, like I thought, oh, that stung, you know, whatever. But having a full, like a, you know, I think I, you know, I can mention how much I weigh, but here's a guy that's not on the program and he weighs like maybe 220 Mm. and he's got nothing but muscle and he's fully rested and he's like, you know, come save me, come save me. And you're like, okay, you know, you're kind of swimming over to him and he goes, come save me. Like, <laughs> then this voice comes out. Oh, yeah, like, oh, well, you know. And uh, so then he grabs you and he uses you like, a, a, well, um, like a sexual instrument. Yeah, I was going to say, mine <laughs> abused, it was abused me. Yeah, yeah. And so, he was something happened. up in, in suntan oil. I couldn't get a hold I, of him, dude. He was just like all over me, man. I felt like I, need, I, felt like I needed to talk somebody <laughs> after this. I to talk somebody after this, man. Yeah, the same thing happened to me. God, so, duh. so the uh, the trick was uh, dive deep, go down underneath, and come straight up and grab him by the balls. Mm. Straight up. Just grab him by the balls, pull as hard as you can, and then as you're coming up with your elbow, you catch him in the throat. And then you can lay him out that way. Oh my um, gosh. And I was able then to kind of get over the top of him and grab him in a chokehold. What you're supposed him... to do. Okay, you're supposed so to tell him in. That, there's a technique. technique right? Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how hard they tried, I didn't mean to cuss, but how hard they tried. It was survival of the fittest. Let's put it that way. Trying to live, man. You know what? And this, I, you know, like I was getting manhandled. At this age too, it's not. When we're young kids going through this, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Because you can hear your buddies dying. Oh, they're dying. A lot of times they'll make us turn our backs and look the other way, and you can hear your buddy dying behind you. Yeah, you're not allowed to look. Not allowed to look. Like instructors are laughing. I was like, we just killed another one. Yeah, you're hearing somebody. You're hearing somebody crying, choking, and everything, making their way to the tunnel, and they've quit. They've quit. Right, and, and you're like, like I, you don't know dude. who it was. It could have been an SF guy, could have been a ranger, could have been a PJ, and so you know, like the it's a mind trip. You're like, wait a second, I've been through this like a thousand times, you know, at the OL. Why is this stressing me out all of a sudden? It's because it's the the rules have changed. You're no longer in Air Education and Training Command. You're over here in Army territory, and they don't they 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 got a different set of rules, and so. Um, respect is earned right right then and uh so that's was oh my, yeah that's what happens yeah yeah i have another uh, uh you know dive school uh, story uh, many of them as as they all do um but you know of course we do closed circuit there they teach us how to lock out of submarines and all that kind of stuff and uh the first time 
uh, we got all of our get kit on and we were about to go do a, a subsurface uh, bud swim, which is you guys, we inherited from the Navy, right? So that's a, a bud line. So you have all the divers, they're linked up and uh, you got like maybe 10 divers and a guy with a nav board at the front and they're, it's a formation dive, right? And uh, so you're, you have your equipment, you have your weapon, um, everything's supposed to be neutrally buoyant. And then, uh, you know, you have your, uh, your, your dive gear on. It's for them at, at that, for that dive, it's twin eighties. Uh, we, we advanced to Draegers later on. And uh, so they put us out in the bay. And uh, so the first time, you know, you kind of, everybody's like entering the water and they get off the boat. <clears throat> well, you know, you've got guys that um, don't, don't have a lot of water, you know, familiarity. So, you know, some guys are sinking, other guys are floating. Um, some guys are spinning dudes are not leaving the boat in the proper, you know, like position. So they're supposed to hold the tanks down, you know, hold their mask and look behind them and then, you know, kick off. And so it's a gaggle. It's a horrid gaggle. And everybody then is like pulling. And so the bud, bud line is literally choking everybody out, right? And you got guys that are stressing because they're not used to, they don't, you know, like for the army guys, a lot of them, you know, they, they do a little bit of water confidence, but this is their school. They don't have like their preschool, um, they may or may not have attended, right? So mm -hmm. um, I think that was the case at the time, but I think now 100% they all do. Um, anyways, we had this guy from fifth group. It's an old salt guy. It's uh, Sergeant Sanders. And I'll never forget, he's standing there. He's got his foot on the gunnel. Um, he's wearing his UDT shorts. He got his balls hanging balls out. Balls hanging down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> freaking none of this. Balls hanging no out. Buttons. You know, they sunglasses. No, 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 no. This is Those the, guys are the best when, the, you, when you get to Totally, the totally. Oh, so you're dude. down at the water level. You're looking up, and there's nothing but a big ball sack yeah. hanging out. <laughs> and you're like, Combat damn. Boot that's yeah, ball yeah, Exactly. Seriously. You're like, hey, that looks like bubble gum. <laughs> and uh, clearly, he doesn't shave. And, uh, and you're like, that, that looks like a man. Uh, anyways, he's got his dark chrome shades on and his little, you know, baseball cap. And he's, he's looking out at us. And, you know, at the point where I look back at him and I lock eyes with him, I'm like, you know, I'm looking around and this team is, they're, they're just, it's just a horrible mess. And he goes, you men need to move out before the enemy dies of old fucking age. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. Man. Isn't that great? Dudes are out there like <laughs> cutting their shit away. Shit's falling to the bottom. We lost like six weapons. It was just a horror. When it goes underwater, when it gets um, tangled, it's a man. That's yeah. a different dimension altogether. So we ended up getting our shit together. We ended up making it to the beach, but that was like there was no goal setting goal. The, the, the goal was to finish the event. Live through it. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah my for sure. God. You don't so, know that's the thing <laughs> yeah. when you're going through that. No, like, no, listen, we got to get through here. We got to do this. But the whole point was just to get survival. You know, so I heard you on another podcast talking about how, um, uh, you know, you're on the beach and your instructor's sitting up there on the top of the berm and he's, they're smoking you and he's got a bullhorn and he's just telling these stories and you're like, you're suffering. You're like, God, how long is this story going to go on? I had the exact same event happen on the pool deck. We have introduction to pool. Yeah. Yeah. Down pool in, intro, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So pool deck intro. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you're there on the deck and you're wearing your UDT shorts and you got your little, you know, your little thin brown t-shirt with your name stenciled on it. And you got a pair of twin eighties hand, you know, and you, this is the first time you're able to handle them, right? You're not, you're, you're kind of a plebe, right? You're, you're like, this is your, your new wife, right? You're going to, we're going to let you touch Twin two scuba tanks that are tacked together. Yeah, yeah. They, and, and, and they, you wear them at the same time on your yep. back. Like yeah. two air tanks. Two air tanks. Yeah. Two, two scuba air tanks. tanks on your back, side by side. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, back in the Inquisition times, they had this thing called the rack where they would stretch your spine and all that stuff. And they would torture you until you became Christian or whatever. Like, 
these scuba tanks, that's like the modern thing, right? That's <laughs> the that's how they, rack. yeah. John Cousteau, well, you got to get on your belly and you got to belly crawl yeah, on yeah. the concrete with them on. You got to, yeah, you got to no padding with them on. So Zero, it, the, it, yeah. there is no padding. There is these little straps that are like half an inch wide and they've got fast, fast releases that you, you weave into them. But that's, that's your, that's, that's your girlfriend. You're going to carry those. So we held on to them and Sergeant Sanders again was, uh, uh, leading the pool deck, intro to pool deck. And he kept going on and on and on. And I can't remember because at the time I was trying to figure out exactly how a comfortable way to carry these things. And you can't uh, put them on your hip, right? That was against the rules. So you had to hold them. And, uh, every, you know, you'd see guys, you know, kind of, you know, maneuvering around, trying to get them comfortable, you know, and swapping hands and doing the whole nine yards. And meanwhile, he's still talking. And I'm like, how long is this iteration going to last? Like, I'm pretty sure I've demonstrated skill here. <laughs> I've held these tanks up for, God knows, at least 30 minutes. And that doesn't sound like a long time until it becomes an hour. And then you start getting lectured about how you didn't, when you got off the, when you got on the airplane and there was takeoff, that you didn't have your tray table in the upright and locked position. And that's when I was like, oh, I get it. This is just a suck fest. And this is going to outlast all day. And that's exactly what happened. So we did like that. Then once we were like, oh, do you want to put them down? And th finally convinced the whole class to agree to put them down because everybody was like, no, this is a trick. It was a trick. And they, we've all finally succumbed to the weight. So then that's when we started to duck walk. You know, we were allowed to put them on our back and duck walk around the pool. And that's when we were able to put our eyes finally on the prize, which was the water in the pool, you know. Mm. And so that's, uh, that's formative. For combat dive at yeah. least uh in those days <laughs> and they don't do that anymore well i don't know i i assume they probably do. do quite a bit yeah we do um and i don't know you know what the air force is doing i was i was able to actually go down and see i think maybe one of the first graduating classes for the air force dive school um they were doing drager i think at the time yeah. but i don't i don't think they do closed circuit anymore um so the the dive bubbles are different i've got a i've got one with sharks on it and cross swords and then the one that the, they award now, I think, is more like the Navy salvage bubble. Where were you at during 9-11? I was at Moody Air Force Base um, having breakfast. Okay. Yep. I, had, uh, I was a PJ. I'd done like uh, four rotations. Okay. Yeah, two to o o Operation Northern Watch, two to Operation Southern Watch. I'd done some space shuttle missions. And when that kicked off, I already had a package in OTS, Officer's Training Selection. Yeah. So, um, or school. And... Uh, so that was a huge event for us. Um, we're on the East Coast. We're the only active duty East Coast team. And uh, a couple of guys just left the unit that day, like literally walked out in the parking lot, got in their cars, drove to New York City and volunteered. And uh, one of them uh, was my supervisor. His name was uh, John Willis. And he had won the President's Medal uh, for the Oakland Bridge Collapse where he was on the Moffat team out there and did the exact same thing. They didn't have orders or nothing. They just, hey, somebody's in need, get in a car, go yeah. and see what you That's can do to help. That's like that, too, rolled yeah, up. Yeah, man. Yeah. So um, John was, he was kind of a legend. Uh, also killed a giant-ass redfish with an oar. My gosh. While he was, while he was on, a, on, a, on an inflatable, uh, on an inner tube, because uh, he used to have a boat moored outside in the, the Banana River down there on Cocoa Beach. And so there's a bar right there he used to frequent. Yeah. And then he'd paddle out to his boat and go to crash out, you know. It's a sailboat. And uh, we used to joke with him because uh, we, 
we figured that the state of Florida let him keep the boat moored out there because it was an artificial reef. It just had so many barnacles on it. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, unseaworthy, yeah. right? How great. That's good living for some of those guys. Man. I know, they right? Just, that's part like of our that. heritage. Cool, is, man, yeah. you know, it's that's not cool. well known. If you can geobatch like that. Yeah, you, yeah. If you're young and you come in, try yeah. that one. We have some buddies do it too. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was making his way on his uh, inflatable, and that's when uh, he saw this redfish come up. And, I mean, it was a, it was a big thing. And he, he whacked it with the oar. And, and pulled it onto him, and it made the front page of the oh local my paper. Gosh. Yeah. Fun to yeah. <laughs> so there's your fishing story. If you got one better, you know, submit it. Yeah. Oh my we'll get gosh. a Patreon story, no doubt. Right. The best fishing story come in. All right. So, so it's 9 11, and what do you do? Like, what's your next steps? Well, uh, so this is, we've kind of fast forward through the pipeline, um, you know, and I, I mentioned that I, I did a couple of rotations. So two to Turkey. Uh, for Northern Watch, where we patrol, um, you know, for the listeners may not be familiar. Um, after the first Gulf War, we established uh, two parallels um, where um, Saddam Hussein couldn't fly his Air Force above, you know, or below. And that was to protect um, one, uh, you know, from incursions into Kuwait, again, or Saudi Arabia threatening. And then one north was uh, to protect the Kurds, right, because he was bombing the Kurds and gassing him and all that kind of stuff. So um, the Air Force flew um, fighter patrols um, in there all the time, and they needed rescue assets to assure that if they were, because they shot, they shot us all the time with SAMs and anti-aircraft guns. So That happens all the time. Yeah. So people who aren't paying attention, we don't have yeah, to be yeah. in a war for people to shoot at us and no. do all that and test all that. That's a normal ongoing yeah. occurrence, and we're over there. There's a th- we don't even talk about it. Nope. Like, it happens so much. Like, you ever get any combat? Everyone who was over there has. Yeah. That's the crazy part about our, our generation, the crazy part. Is everyone's been in combat, but because they get shot at and mortared and rockets, but we don't look at that as the combat. No, I, I never thought of it. Isn't and that we, crazy? we should talk about that. That's a separate side I note. I try because, to tell people that. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's not combat. I'm like, yeah, it is. That's combat. I literally, uh, my first trip to Afghanistan early on, um, we, uh, we put our GP medium right next to the only mosque on Kandahar. Because it was the only building that was still left standing yeah. after Taliban last no stand. No one shooting things. Well, well, I mean, you know, like it was kind of a. I mean, I hate to say it, it was a little protective measure. It was literally the there was the airport was still there. Yeah. But I mean, it was full of holes, right? So, um, that was one of the interesting. We got rocketed and mortared every night. And some of those fobs would make those the the rock concert T-shirts out of it. We got mortared on this date oh. at this time. And then underneath it, be like... Years later, you know, somebody would ask me, like, hey, were you ever in combat and stuff? I was like, I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't say that I ever really, I can't, I don't remember, like, shooting anybody. You know, have I shot my weapon in self-defense? Yeah. But, I mean, from an aircraft, that's a different thing, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, we're, we're, you know, also gunners on the 60. Everyone's um, been shot at some yeah, capacity, yeah. driving but through. But, I mean, like, did, we, did I file for, like, hey, a combat action ribbon and nothing? No, we didn't do that. And, uh, you know, half the time, you know, like, okay, well, you know, I, you know you're flying low and fast. You're, you know, sometimes you have to defend yourself. Like, RPGs get shot at you. They go through the formation. You're like, you know, didn't get, didn't, it didn't hit us, so we you just keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and you, that means paperwork. You got to fill shit out. And then yeah. people are asking you why you're there. And you got to ask, you know, you got to answer a bunch of dumb questions. And, you know, so it gets in the way of the mission, which is rescue, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so, you know, and it's not always Americans, right? So it's, uh, you know, we have coalition members that you're out there to rescue. And then you have civil civilians, you know, they're early on where they're to win the hearts and All minds. Time. Yeah, the doctors, you know? the medical programs, the, uh, yeah, the hearts and minds. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, you're out there, you know, rescuing kids, uh, you know, or, or 
you know, uh, pe- village elders, you know, that get sick or kids that step on mines and things like that, you know, left over from the Soviets. Um, you know, that's what you want to do. You want to make that your presence known. You want to let them know that you're shoulder to shoulder with them. You're not going to just leave them high and dry when something happens. Sure. When we weren't running out the doing actual missions, then we would do med caps. So all the 18 delts, the medics, we'd load up and go into town to work on the civilian, which is a Green Beret mission, but... Yeah, we so did we the did same thing. Yeah, we did it at Deir Wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I pulled some rotation there. I sent guys up there, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, we've great training. Over, oh, it was the best training. I mean, I've got, great training. I, I lost the hard drive, but I had a whole bunch of photos. Of, I mean, a whole folder of some pretty gory stuff. But, uh, man, did we learn a lot. I did. And we picked up an 18 Delta. Um, he's, a, he's a full bird colonel. Um, it was a lieutenant colonel at the time, but he was from New Hampshire. He had a private practice. We went to war. He was a... He was a He's an SF medic in Vietnam, came back home, went to, became a doctor, and uh, then st- started private practice. Then when this war kicked off, you know, 20 years, 30 years later, he's like, hey, I'm this guy. Remember me, Army? And the Army's like, we'll give you a uniform. So he's oh like, gosh. all right, cool. He ends up in the bush, you know, in Dairabud province, which is, it was Indian territory. Literally, like, we pulled together some HESCO barriers, and that was it. We had some plywood. And uh, he was out there, I mean, killing it. His, uh, Lee Insulata was his name. Later on, um, we ended up pulling him out. When, once he left that, he ended up going and doing some amazing stuff in AFRICOM in some clandestine areas for some really special people. How about that doctor? You get him. Yeah. We did. We got him. He trained PJs uh, up at our— He's got some skills. He does. SEI uh, up in New Hampshire oh is gosh. where we have our, some of our advanced uh, medical training. The old boys, the, when we first went in there, Charlie Med guys, and the, yeah. anybody was hanging out there, the surgeons especially, because you just don't work on them, uh, us. Right. Like if we hurt somebody and don't kill them, we got to bring them back. And yep. then they would patch them up and we'd send them back. So just to, Great so. for intel value, one way or the other. You're pulling everybody off the target, making sure that you know we've got everything we can get. That's real. Yeah, we did that for sure. And the kids too. Um, you know, So we did a lot of missions. Um, one of my... Uh, you know, a ton of missions, uh, and that's kind of where we ended up um, losing a, a couple PJs early on. Is uh, you know some of those those aviation missions where you know it's it, you know a lot of people think it's always man versus man, but you know it'll kill you. Man versus nature will kill you just as fast, yeah, if not faster. And so you know weather. Because you, you know why? Because you, di- you you disrespect it by looking for the for the guy trying to kill you. Uh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you never think about. It. That's why we train so dang hard. But that's what it gives. The element will grab us. Usually grabs us before some somebody shoots us. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like you can extend this argument out over time. You know, man versus society will get you too. You know, so you know, depending on you know where the environment you are as a veteran and then where you go. Oh yeah. That'll get you. So it's good. And how to about stay that? Because it changes whether or not they're. Day by day, if they're pissed or not. Yeah. If they're upset, you could run across somebody. Yeah, that's weird, huh? The Vietnam veterans went through that. Yeah, they did. You know, and uh, they paved, they, you know, a lot of people don't give them uh, the credit they're, they're due. But um, one of the things about that's unique to the PJ community, uh, I would say, and maybe you, you might share this, but uh, for, for the medical side, there's some books that we read, right? And, uh, you know, some of it is like bio thrillers, you know, other stuff is. Um, you know, I think I heard you mention uh, Gates of Fire, right? Absolutely. So, and the it gives you the warrior ethos. Then there's the medical side. There's Art um, of War by Sung Soo. There's yeah. the Book of Five Rings. A few of them we got to read that they did. Yeah, it's like mandatory reading. Mandatory. You know, yeah. While you're learning how to be, you know, anatomy and physiology, two years of that in two weeks, which was a whole other like stuff. How about that? How about that? <laughs> that freaking med terminology test we had to take going in there. It's the hardest first thing I've ever done. I, I, I thought by they far. were joking. Yeah, yeah, I did too. 
So you want me to learn two years of A and P? Two years of it. Two years in two weeks. <laughs> and here's and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you a blank piece of paper. There's gonna be a hundred blanks on there, and then we're gonna give you another one with a hundred blanks and on you, it. And you have to fill. You're gonna it up. walk in a room, right? And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna identify what structure, what what is <clears throat> what is this that the pin is in in cadavers and exploded. Uh, That's a hardest thing. Body I, parts. Hardest test I ever took. Not only are you going to write it in English, but you're going to write it in Latin. Oh my gosh! Right, and that was like I was like, wait, wait 100 in English? Okay, yeah. Like all the major veins, all the major all that. nerves. I mean, all the major structures. You had to know the name of it. But the I know anything about it. Yeah, it's like oh, the adrenal. You know how hard that is to stick something in your head if you don't know what the word means. I, yeah, I, 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 that. Uh, and the, uh, I didn't fail it. The, pitu I, I, I the pituitary <laughs> gland, all the glands, like, hey, if it's a gland, you have to write down all the hormones it's yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Right? That's so where that's those crazy whole... acronyms come from. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so um... since the kid, the little ones, could talk, Marcus has asked, what is this bone? I teach him all what the bones in the body. Bone? Oh, yeah. What is this bone? How many teeth you have in your head? Yep. Addie, how many bones in the body? Uh, two. Uh, Boom! Two hundred. Come on now. Right there. Yeah. Way to perform under pressure, honey. <laughs> Nobody's so, grading you, but you girl. just won. Yeah, just broke the internet but, uh, today. Well she, they, you may go now. He <laughs> has ice cream for you tonight. That's right, baby girl. Like just made your daddy every proud. bone in the body, how many teeth you have, like all that stuff. He has taught the kids since, literally, since they could talk. Dude, you know, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, that, that you kind of when you mentioned the tooth, isn't that amazing? What we learn about dental, you don't get that. How about that? Right. The dental blocks and I stuff. I try to tell people, like, hey, man, I can work on your teeth. I can yeah, catch I can do whatever easy. you want, man. Turns it's, out it's yeah. actually when way easier than that, man. He told me he could deliver the baby. And I'm like, And I've done that. Not our baby. They let me do that, but I've not. delivered them. 17 of them. Absolutely yeah. not. People don't believe me. My wife didn't believe me. We started having kids. We and can sure like, do that. Yeah. We can. I was Can't like, believe we can do. I am not letting you look down there in that state of... Yeah. trauma <laughs> that I'm going to be going through. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That freaking school, well, man. Yeah, it was amazing because uh, we, we got a lot of... It was the best. Yeah, it was. Um, and then, you know, of course, all sucked, the... but it was the best. All the self-care that we did on each other. Uh, about, that, <laughs> hey, that's how I got good at that. I know, right? <laughs> you know, I ended up having a bunch of scar tissue removed over those 14 gauge uh, being thrown up my... You know, you put it on top of your foot, in your forearm, oh, all that kind of stuff. All those Don't you PJ. put it in your urethra? One of my best guys, dude, he was a PJ Cox. What's his name? I'll never forget walking out of my room one morning. He's laying in the hallway, had a, had a IV in his saff. There's Corona bottles laying around everywhere, and he's passed out on the ground in the running position. Oh, yeah. And those sweeties that y'all wear. Oh, yeah, man. Those freaking ball Catch me spankies. <laughs> In the in the IV bag and backfield, so it was full of his blood. Oh yeah, just, that's uh, that's poor. He form. was a badass man. I freaking <laughs> love that guy. God, he was hardcore. Who man. was the PJ in your 18 Delta? He was one of them. Cunningham was Cunningham? the most people everyone knows. He had he, Cunningham in his 18 Delta class. class. All those great PJs, man. Yeah, I, I should probably tell the Cunningham story. I have so um, I, I can mention this earlier, but um, so Jason, his first assignment was to Moody. And uh, I had already uh, put on staff sergeant, and I'd had quite a few rotations under my belt. And uh, so Jason uh, was, was a he was a cross trainee, you know, coming out of the Navy as a SAR swimmer. And, um, you know, of course, we, the, young, the young kids, I don't know how the SEALs are, but we kind of haze the young kids. You know, they come in, you know, and they, they're, you know, they got a beret, and they're not qualified to do shit except for make coffee. Not even that. They got to watch. There's an instruction manual on how to get that shit done right. So, uh, but Jason just, he fit in 
You know, he fit in in, in such a great way because he played the cone part really well. And um, he just had such charity. He was a good, good man. And um, you can tell a new guy. Oh, you can. Totally. And, and some of those new guys who cross over, you, they can hide that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the army guys that cross over into PJ, there's not many, but they typically we did get rangers. And rangers, they really? got a whole other level of yeah, hazing. Yeah, that's a different human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. So that's, you know, we can, we can yeah, tell stories about that. Yeah, I remember different. So they fit, I mean, they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, and another thing. They, they kick it up <laughs> right? a notch. You're like, yes. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, I love these reindeer games. Uh, so, but, you know, coming out from the, from the Navy SAR school, um, he, you know, had, I don't, I don't know if he had any, I don't think he had any combat deployments. But was, he had, that was the first one, I thought. Yes, yeah. for the Air Force particularly. Because I was shocked he got there. I was like, how did you? I'm sorry. So he ahead. got there because of me. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't tell the story. That, you, yeah. PJs don't know, uh, and it's, it's something that took me many, many years to reconcile with. So, I had mentioned, I mentioned I had my package into OTS, and I had like one couple classes left, and um, so there's this Task Force K Bar mission um, where you know, like this was early, like right at the beginning of the war, and everybody was trying to get in, right? So we had a That's strata. The beginning. Yeah. And because we didn't think the war was going to last very long. K bar was beginning. Yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, there was a couple PJs. I was on the select list, and there was only you know three or four of us that were supposed to go on this task tasking. And um, we had a, a, a simultaneous operation going on for Northern Watch. And so Jason drew the Northern Watch rotation, and I drew the K bar mission. And it was it was my mission to have, and uh, you know. It, so, um, but I, I was really concerned about being able to finish up my degree. So I was like, you know, um, Jason, what do you think about swapping? And he was like, are you kidding me? I'll, gi- I'll give you, I'm like, absolutely, absolutely, I'll do anything. I was like, okay. So we would, I'd stayed up with him and helped him groom his kit. Um, he was an amazing, believe it or not, the Navy does, this is one of the things I truly respect is they do a great job of cross-training. So he knew how to run a sewing machine like you would not believe. He was way better than even some of our riggers. And uh, so he sewed, we, we came up with this, it was really his idea, but I kick-started it a little bit, you know, and gave him a couple of other pointers. But he built a combat ruck that I had never seen before out of an Alice pack. And essentially, you know, it had zippers, we installed zippers on it, so the whole thing would fold open like a Dave Cruz pack. And, uh, but it had, we sewed Velcro in it so we could have like A, B, and C yeah, and then D, medical. E, and F kits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, but it was his. You see them everywhere now. Well, yeah, but this, this started with him. Yeah. This is what he did. And, uh, we, you know, I stayed with him, uh, down in the rigging shop and we, we built it up. And then he, he built me a couple things for my kit. I think, uh, yeah, quick releases for my Alice Ruck. So that's one of the cool parts that comes out of that schoolhouse is all the inventions. Oh, yeah. Like the tourniquets, the Ashman chest seal, all oh, that yeah. stuff are from the boys who came through that schoolhouse just trying to get faster. Yep. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. There's a lot of innovation that innovation, occurs there. Yeah. And chaos, that's where it comes. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, separate standards. <laughs> and, st- and standards. Yeah. <laughs> and the standards. There's always, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. The bar is continuously you moving. You can't like, do that? What? Yeah, right, depends on how, it depends on how much the instructors <laughs> drank the night before. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's so, a variable. Uh, but Jason took my rotation. I went to Af- I went to Turkey um, and convinced one of my really good friends and classmates, uh, Bimbri King, to come with me. Um, and we did our rotations in in uh, Northern Watch. 
I finished up my degree, uh, but we got news that Jason had been killed. And we, you know, of course, you never believe what you hear uh, because the truth will come out eventually. So we had heard all kinds of rumors about, you know, um, this stuff. And and, uh, we knew that he was with Carrie Miller, um, who was, you know, a 2-4 PJ. Um, and, and everybody loved. He's, uh, you know, a stellar PJ. And all of them are. And um, so we wanted to hear it from Carrie. You know, like, we'll wait until everything's, the dust settles. The reports are written because, you know, officers need to write their reports. And, you know, inevitably, when, when Americans die, there's got to be somebody to blame or something to blame. You yeah. know? So that, that, that may be a little bit farther from the truth than reality. So... We at least had the presence of mind that. And then, uh, so I went back, uh, we, we finished up our rotation. I went back and I, we got back just in time for the ceremony. Um, and that was really the first PJ I remember burying, um, especially out of this, this war. Um, and so that's where um, I saw for the first time us putting the uh, PJ, tri- the, our uh, flash on a coffin. And that'll play into the story later on. Uh, but we did that and I, I, you know, the coffin being where, you know, like the present and everything, that was one thing. But what I remember most that struck me most about the ceremony was all the PJ standing around without something on their beret. There was a vacancy and PJs don't typically make like multiple berets. We just have one. Um, and we wear it until it wears out and then we make another one and, you know, and so that badge uh, that they wear on it, the flash, has been with them everywhere. You know, it's been all over the world with them. You generally don't wear it, but we take it. You know, it's, I imagine take, for yeah. the SEALs, same. same thing. And so, um, you know, to see a sea of berets without that is a, is a, is, was sobering in a, in a unique way. Um, and I really struggled with survivor's guilt for a long time, and I never shared it. Never. Is it not... It wasn't. Uh, it wouldn't be fruitful, right? Not not for uh, you know because I I had. Uh, it wasn't that I traded a life for my degree, but that's how it felt, at least to me. Um, and I promised myself, going through all the classes and everything, that I would never ever allow my education to get in the way of my job. And I may, I took pride in that. So I wrote. I did rotations. I literally finished up my degree in the back of a helicopter, like on a on a laptop, as I was pulling alert, like you know close it up and I'm st- I'm got my head in the game. And um so that was a tough one. And after that, uh you know, many years passed. A lot of rotations. We had several other losses. I lost a supervisor uh to a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. Most Mike the PJs Maltz. in my class are dead. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Plight. A few of them. Yeah. How about that kid? He was great too, man. Young. Yeah. God dang, man. And handsome? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> selection criteria. <laughs> He's the prettiest son bitch I ever saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. PJs are pretty handsome. <laughs> I mean, John, is... uh, whole nine yards. Yeah, man. you guys have your mo too, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Do. We'll cover it with sideburns and that. Yeah. In the stash, for the longest, man, longest funny. time, I was like, "Is every seal got blue eyes and blonde hair? Like, right? what's going on here?" <laughs> he was. Yeah, hey, man, that's right. He was a good looking son of a gun, man. Uh, yeah, but um, many years later, I got a chance to meet his dad. Oh, good. I was in Vegas, and uh, we were I was stationed there, and we had another uh, loss, uh, lost a combat rescue officer, and uh, in a helicopter shoot down um, in Afghanistan, 
and uh, uh, Pedro 66. And uh, the lead pilot for that aircraft was a close friend of mine, uh, Dave Wisniewski. And uh, we had done some stuff together out in Okinawa and everything. He was, he was a good guy. And uh, weapons officer, uh, real sharp. And uh, Joel Gantz, a combat rescue officer, Mike Flores. Uh, and so um, his dad came in, uh, Jason's dad came in for the ceremony. And so we're at a, a bar after the, you know, ruffles and flourishes is all over and everything, and most folks have gone home, you know. There's the usual suspects sure. um, at the bar. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, somebody had mentioned that, that uh, you Our know, security. Jason's dad was here. So I, I got chance, I sat down next to him, introduced myself, and his name is Red. Um, and uh, I said, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about your son. And uh, he told me that the story about Jason uh, wanted to be a PJ. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm figuring this is like a Navy story, right? No, 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 no. Apparently, he wanted to be a PJ before he joined the Navy. But he felt like he wasn't ready. He, he needed to, to do something to prove to himself that he could make it through pararescue training. A strange philosophy, uh, but he didn't know how to swim. So he decided he was going to teach himself how to swim. And... Uh, he told his dad, hey, I'm gonna, I, I want to be a PJ, but I need to learn how to swim. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to teach myself how to swim. And he goes, okay, well, don't, don't, don't do something stupid. Don't go down there and drown yourself in the cattle pond. And uh, cause his dad owned a cattle ranch. And uh, so his dad is up next to the house, uh, you know, taking care of something, you know, as farmers do. And uh, he got a bad, like, sinking feeling in his heart, and he just, immediately dropped his instruments and ran down to the cattle pond. He didn't see Jason. So he jumps in the cattle pond, swims around, locates him, pulls him out of the water, resuscitates him, brings him back to life. And uh, he's like, are you okay, son? You know, and uh, of course, according to Red, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, what are you going to do now? He's like, I'm, a, I'm not done yet. I still haven't learned how to swim. And I guess according to Red, you know, through that summer, he trained himself how to swim and then he joined the Navy to become a SAR swimmer and then left the Navy to become a PJ. So this was a, you know, I, I guess maybe the story that I, I internalized here is that it was never about me. You know, Jason's story in his heroism and everything, like I, we'd like to think, oh, you know, I would have made some different decisions on that mountain. I may have, but that oh, no, wasn't no, my story. No, no, no. Don't do that. To, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You that know, and I think... Set up that's a hell of a combat op right there, man. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the thing is, is that Jason did something that young PJs do. Um, they're trained to not really... One of the things we learned at SOMSI, one of the best medicines sometimes is lead. That's your, in, that's your in initial dose. Yeah, man. Fire back down. That's right. Drive That's medicine on a battlefield. We yep. they, they preach that to us is rounds back down. Yeah, and and I and I don't know what happened because I wasn't there. Um, but they shot my, him in the back. My understanding is he was shot multiple times, yeah. moving the you know the the patients back and forth, the the survivors of the crash back and forth, um, and got shot, moving the casualty collection point multiple times. So it wasn't that he just got shot moving, shuffling back and forth. Yeah. It was getting them all to one, and then that becoming under fire because they're taking casualties and so they're no longer able to establish and maintain uh, a field of fire so then they have to move all those casualties again out of the and so that was his contribution 
which left an indelible mark on our heritage. Mm. Um, and I think that there's a lot that drove a lot of changes, perhaps in training. Um, you know, and, and I know for certain that it changed the way I trained PJs from that point on. Everything changed on us when it got real. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we ended up, uh, we, we, we had to relearn some lessons. Yeah. I think we all did. Uh, the Army did, the Navy did, the Air Force did, for sure. Sure. Um, yeah. All right, so, so in 05. for the people that don't know that story, they can look it up. Um, it's Operation Anaconda. Mm -hmm. and Roberts um, Ridge. Yeah, Roberts Ridge. And they have... Um, it was a hell of a battle. Uh, Slab got the Medal of Honor. Um, a lot of medals came out of yeah, there. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of medals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there just happens to be an Air Force combat yeah. controller yeah. one of Medal of Honor. It's the only one that's ever been filmed. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. That's a hell of a op. John Chapman. Uh, yeah. So That's right. Bagram Airfield is, is Chapman Airfield. That's right. Yeah. Because Roberts, Roberts died up. That's right. That's how that happened. Yeah. Neil Roberts. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So Neil fell out of the back of the helicopter. Um, they send a platoon up there to go get him. All right. Um, they came under fire. Uh, they, were, they were shot back. Mm -hmm. Chapman uh, was disabled. He was, he was rendered in, he was incapacitated uh, and unconscious. But apparently at some point he became conscious, he regained consciousness. But the platoon had bounded back, back by yeah. that time. And so they didn't know that he was still alive. They were convinced he was dead. Mm -hmm. um, and they were, they were, they were hurt. <laughs> they were crippled. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess Chapman uh, took it upon himself and whatever, you know, he could muster to uh, put together a, a one-man stand because he, they were firing at the SEAL team. And so he had no idea how much time had lapsed, but they had basically overrun his position and were firing down the mountain at the SEALs. Mm. And so he basically popped up in the middle of them and started shooting them, and uh, they shot back. And uh, so it was a gunfight for sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know all the details because it's, it took me a minute to kind of be able to... Some of it I can digest. Other bits takes a little bit more time. Yeah. A fascinating story where a convergence of a whole lot of different things. I think we ended up putting uh, some rescue helicopters up there, um, you know, and pick some people off the side of the mountain, um, which was a whole other feat of heroism, airmanship, uh, you know, once the, the gunfight died down. So, wow. Okay, so you, after that, then we're getting into 05. So uh, I had been leading into 05. Um, I had done a combat rotation in Afghanistan. I was a team commander for the 48th Rescue Squadron's first combat deployment. Um, so it was a brand new PJ squadron, uh, a Guardian Angel squadron. And, uh, you know, we went in and we did, uh, we were the only rescue force in all of Afghanistan. So there was no dust off, no nothing. It was early. And uh, we did rescue from the Kunar all the way down to Herat, you know, and everything in between, uh, down to the pack border. And literally... Everybody knew knew us uh, because we were we, we were the only folks in town that that did the job, and we did airborne alert back then for you know soft direct action missions stuff like that. We lived in the camp uh, inside the the soft compound at Kandahar. I jumped into Tarnak Farms like I don't know five or six times, which is the, the where Osama bin Laden planned the twin towers, um, you know, uh, it, and so that that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I did, uh, before that, I, in 03, I did 1003 Victor. I was in the Joint Personnel Recovery Center uh, working for it in the Combined Air Operations Center uh, back in, in Prince Sultan Air Base. Uh, so 
I was one of the first combat rescue officers in the Air Force. I was a brand new second lieutenant and uh, had just finished up some advanced um, training with the Joint Personnel Recovery Agency uh, with my counterparts that ended up going all over the theater to basically coordinate rescue and recovery operations, both on the overt side and the covert side. And they put me um, at the, basically the nexus for all of that. It's called the Joint Personnel Recovery Center, right? And that happens to be, that task falls to the Combined Forces Air Component Command, the CFAC, and the Air, the Air Force, right? And so um, most don't know, uh, 1003 Victor uh, became what we know as Iraqi Freedom. And so all the air combat and ground combat operations, that was phase three, I was there coordinating rescue for the entire thing. Um, along with a whole other bunch of people. Um, and uh, so I worked the night shift with, you know, working, you know, 16-hour days or something like that, you know, seven days a week. Um, and I got a chance to coordinate probably, I don't know, maybe a 1,000 rescue missions, you know, and, and dust off, you know, in re, you know, recovery missions as well as rescue missions. Um, and so some of the stuff that, you know, people may have heard of or maybe have been, your, the audience may have been associated with, it's, very, very likely that if it happened at night, uh, I might have been the one that you were talking to, you know, on the radio or at least your headquarters was communicating with. Um, it was a fascinating time. Uh, I had a chance to be involved in uh, a lot of, probably for the listeners, um, one would be Jessica Lynch and the 507th. Um, most people are familiar with Jessica's rescue. Uh, but they're not really familiar with her teammates, and they became POWs along with a, a Apache crew and several others um, that were held by the the regime, and uh, they they were rescued by some Marines. Uh, but that all was coordinated through our center, wow. um, and in conjunction with coalition members and civilians and everything else. So that center also was responsible for Afghanistan. So I mean, you have two conflicts going on simultaneously. So it kept us pretty busy. Yeah. Um, so I did this, uh, did that, then I did the rotation to Afghanistan. And then, uh, in 05, uh, I, I was back at the joint personnel recovery agency, but, um, instead of sitting on the watch, uh, as we had other officers doing that, um, essentially I was a subject matter expert by then, you know, I'd kind of had coordinated stuff and there was young folks in there and they're learning. Um, so I was put in charge of reintegration for the entire, um, CENTCOM AO. And reintegration is, uh, you know, we have five phases to personnel recovery. So the first phase is report, then you locate them, then you support them while they're on the run or, in, you know, in a hide site or something like that. Then you do the recovery or rescue, and then you reintegrate them. And the reintegration is something that most people are unfamiliar with. Um, but it's essentially uh, for if it's remains, it's called repatriation. And if they're alive, it's called reintegration. And reintegration is, is this process, uh, it's a methodical process, you know, um, that is to return people with honor, right? No matter where they come from, no matter what their background, gender, bias, anything like that, it's about helping them transition from either captivity or isolation back to their units and to their families so that they can become... A, a value added. They're a force, force multiplier. I think we learned some valuable lessons coming out of uh, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, where we didn't do that. And so um, Vietnam was really the first war where 
you'd have somebody in the battle space. Um, they were literally like cleaning their weapon, and then ten minutes later they're on an aircraft, and then twenty hours later they're back in the United States with candy and ice cream and people hating the war. Mm-hmm. And that was a cultural shock that wasn't fair, mm-hmm. you know, to them. And uh, so a lot of people got together after the war and said, you know, um, we're seeing post-traumatic stress in an epic proportion. How can we, what can we do to mitigate it? What can we do to help these POWs returning from Hanoi? Many of them had been incarcerated or interned for, you know, five years or greater, you know? And um, that's that's a whole other level of care, mm-hmm. right? Because there are unique things that happen to you when you're in captivity um, and you're malnourished and wounds that don't heal and they manifest in different types of disease processes and things like that, that you wouldn't, that kind of care, you don't get just hopping into a hospital and saying, hey, you know, I, I need some care. Yeah. So that's a, there's a, a medical side to it. There's a psychological side to it. There's a spiritual side to it. Um, and, you know, like the, what it costs for the family to sustain, you know, their family member is a whole other aspect that you need to, they need to be prepared for it. And so bringing them into that loop and having them uh, be part of it is, uh, we found, you know, we achieved a lot of, a lot of good results with that. So um, as a combat, you know, as a PJ, we focus on medicine, uh, we f- combat medicine. And then uh, obviously all the other methods methods to get to get to the job, right? So, you know, skydiving, scuba diving, mountain climbing, all that really cool stuff. Um, as a combat rescue officer, we take on an additional role of being a subject matter expert and uh, advocate for the SEER community. So in the Air Force, we have survival, evasion, resistance, and escape personnel. They're um, our most highly trained, and they 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 are the I would. It may be arguable, but I'd say that they're likely the world's best survival specialists, um, at least coming out of the gate. Um, we're the only branch of service that creates a unique uh, specialty code for them, and they're raised in it, and they stay that their whole career. Um, the advantage to that is that they internalize things and that, like the code of conduct, um, that I mentioned, you know, at the, you know, at the VTC and, um, they educate all of our airmen and they go around and they educate Marines, uh, soldiers, sailors. Um, and then they also educate our, our, um, sisters, I'm sorry, our, uh, partner nations as well. And so, um, a combat rescue officer is in command of both pararescue and SEER. So we're supposed to be 50, 50. So, um, I was, I think, maybe one of the first combat rescue officers that was assigned to be the CENTCOM lead for reintegration. Um, And I owe that to my predecessor, um, who I think got the whole thing passed. But I don't know if he ever, uh, Blake George is his name, uh, phenomenal guy, used to be a controller, crossed over to become a combat rescue officer. And uh, Blake was the one that kind of codified the whole thing, and I I think I, I inherited a position. Uh, that you know that he created, and um, so I was sitting in the JPRC in '05, and uh, you know it was a lot going on. That that summer was crazy, a lot going on in Iraq, um, and uh, we'll get to that. 
uh, we have a lot of different sensors that um, we monitor in the Joint Personnel Recovery Center, um, some of which are um, classified you know, to, this, to this day, but we have, imagine a stack of assets in, in, the, in the air. Um, you know, so you have your, um, intel, your, your intel birds, your surveillance and reconnaissance, um, and then you have you know, um, collection devices, you have uh, the ability to intercept um, communications you know, they're friendly or are uh, foreign or hostile. Um, there is a constellation of satellites um, that also uh, monitor different types of things. And so um, all of that fused together, um, we use to monitor what's going on uh, in our battle spaces. And so when something, uh, we typically are briefed on major operations. Um, but when there's special operations, at that time, uh, we didn't get a full briefing. We, we were lucky to even get a name. And so um, there was a series of targets uh, that needed th th high-value targets in Afghanistan that we were aware of. Um, we had an idea of what their call signs were, um, code names, and then we had an idea of a general idea on where they were. But as to when they were going to be actioned and by whom, uh, we were not privy to that information. The reason why that's important is because um, it gives us an idea if we see something happening somewhere, then we can kind of come through our files and in our overlay and go, hey, oh, there's actually an op going on there. Maybe they've kicked it off, right? So, but we don't get notified, hey, we're about to, we're about, at, yeah, in those days. Right, so um, we're more reactive in the sense of waiting for somebody to pick up the bat phone and say, it's time to launch. You know, we need your help. Uh, so as good airmen, you know, it's a joint cell, so we have other uh, service members and coalition partners in there. Um, you know, we're constantly monitoring. And so we had uh, a troops in contact uh, report that we in intercepted um, from a, a siege of uh, combined forces joint is so combined joint forces special operations. We got some acronyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So <laughs> it takes me a minute to regurgitate. It's been a while. I don't think I've Good said job that. I'm remembering all that stuff years. too, because some of the times I'm like, man, I don't remember what that letter stands for. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. You're, it's all so, good, man. I, I'm with you on that. It happens to me too. So, um, you know, we I I kind of combed through some things, and I was like, oh, look at here. You know, uh, it seems like we might have an op going on. So on the, on the Combined Air Operations Center floor, we have a special operations liaison element. We call them the soul. And uh, so, you know, I picked up my kit, you know, and I kind of meandered over there, and I'm wearing a flight suit looking like a, a flyer. And, you know, of course, those guys in there are, like, not impressed. Is lieutenant, uh, you know, they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, hey, uh, just curious. You guys got something cooking? You need our help? And they're like, no, piss off, Psh, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to take my, you know, what I've discovered and go back to my, you know, my cave. So, um, and there were, you know, a couple guys that were busy studying their PME, you know, a professional military education stuff. And they uh, likely had not heard anything sure. at that point because they, they would not have treated me that way. But I mean, generally, you know, the kind of the, the thing, the buzz on the floor <laughs> would be is if you have a guy walking over from the JPRC to ask you if everything's okay, you might want to check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Take note. So... <laughs> 
Um, we didn't have really um, there. You know, as as the rotations go uh, go through that cell, there's there's an ebb and flow of skill. Um, and so you have some guys that are really switched on, and other folks that are just learning for the first time. And so the other, you know, aspects of the the combined air operation center, they they don't know, you know. And so they they, you know, I'm not wearing a beret on my head, so they don't know me from Adam. You know, they could. So it's like, well, you know, he could, he's a second lieutenant. What could he possibly know, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I think I was a first lieutenant at the time, but um, yeah, it's, it's shades of gray. Uh, so, anyways, we we go by uh, a little bit and. Uh, I'm showing my commander, uh, I'm like, hey, you know, here's this information that I have. I'm deeply concerned because uh, these, these reports indicate that we've got something that's outside the scope of what we anticipate, right? So I'm seeing detonations that are of an order of like an RPG. These are not what our guys are carrying into the field, right? So this is a tip-off, and I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned. Uh, but the siege of Sodif is not asking for help, and we can't pre- we can't just stick our nose into something that's not our business. So um, we wait, we wait. So can you hear when you're saying you have all these different devices of being able to um, hear Collection what's going devices? on? Yeah, can you hear like the calls that they were trying to make? It depends on the radio. Okay. It depends on the radio. So some yes, some no, and uh, or. Let me rephrase. Did you hear some of the calls that, like, Danny were trying to make in, the rescue calls saying, like, hey, no. we're in contact? No. No. What I got, uh, what we got was the reports from the aircraft, because they're up on aircraft channels, and we can absolutely hear that. Okay. And so they're communicating, and they're like, hey, I've got them. Hey, I've so got a, I've got a beacon. Obviously, time timeline-wise, this is way after the start of the troops in contact yeah so the troops in contact starts happening and um they're in a gun battle and there's you know like but there's other aircraft assets that are going on all over the theater mm-hmm. it takes a minute for them to realize oh you know slew over here let's oh that's a great point you literally have people flying all around yeah, the area yeah. that you're fighting you can see yeah. them yep but they won't have any idea that they you, have no idea what's going up. on they won't know until they get communicated until with they call them in. right and so um we we have this uh we have this, nothing gets out that I'm aware of. Um, there are some, you make some attempts to make communication. Um, I think everyone on the team makes attempts to communicate with their handheld radios, That's right. right? But because of the issues with line of sight and the programming of the radios, they were trying to communicate back with their tactical operations center and they weren't necessarily trying to communicate directly with the aircraft mm-hmm. right so that's their that's their their they they had an established protocol that's right. for communications and they were adhering to the protocol and it's when that stopped that was no longer effective that the plan b comes out and that's whip out a cell phone uh and i i would say as like a sat was a sat phone yeah it's a yeah. okay so it's a sat phone when the sat phone call comes in the siege of Shodaf, they immediately write it down. Um, they log it, and when they log it, we picked it up. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is uh, this has gotten this is my my spidey sense has been kicking, and now we have confirmation. We have we have troops in contact. This is not good. 
you know, the guys are on the run. They need, they're requesting assistance. Um, and I, I'm probably distilling, uh, a, you know, like a two-second conversation into something grander. But, you know, you play the telephone game enough times, you're going to realize that, you know, when somebody says, get people here now, and then the line goes silent, you know, it's like, okay, well, that means something to somebody. And then they report it, and, it, you know, it gets back to us. And next thing I know, we've got, okay, well, so I call, our call back to the Jesota, to to that unit is I am, I identify myself, you know, I'm with the Joint Personnel Recovery Agency, our Joint Personnel Recovery Center. Did you, did you receive a phone call? Yes, yes we did, okay. Are they on the run? Are they isolated? We're not sure, we don't know. And so I can't declare a personnel recovery event because they're not my forces, right? And so that can only be declared when there's, when you're, a, it's important to know that the report has to come through a channel that is kind of bona fide, right? And so before you can act on it, you can, you, we can launch forces. We have to have a couple bits of information, you know? And so otherwise, the response is owned by that parent force, which in this regard was the Siege of Sodef for Marcus's white soft team. And uh, so they, they were like, no, we don't need any help. We got it. Mm. And I was like, okay, let us know. And um, so, you know, it's excruciating because we have, we have assets. Um, we, could, we can move. Um, we have folks that are just, that's all they, they, they live, breathe, eat, sleep, you know, for, all, for that kind of thing. Uh, and they're dying to get involved. Um, but, you know, the information is sparse. And the worst thing you can do is clog up that airspace and, and, you know, with a reactionary force that's not needed, right? Because you end up, they're on a surveillance and reconnaissance mission. Let's not forget about that, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, maybe they have a local skirmish where they can, you know, they, you know they're kind of like, hey, you know, I need to get some things sorted out here, you know, and some people need to take a dirt nap, and then we're going to continue the mission, Charlie Mike. Mm -hmm. We don't know. So um, it ends up, I, I don't know how the communication uh, ended up actually happening, but the Siege of Sodaf notified the task force. And I guess through the SEAL chains of command, SEAL, SEAL channels, um, there was a whole bunch of guys, that, you know, decided to get on a helicopter and go visit violence on these idiots, you know, that, uh, you know, took a dislike into Marcus and, and his team. So um, they didn't coordinate with anybody, and we had no idea that they had launched. Um, that was another problem. Mm. Mm. And that played out that played out in a, in a myriad of different ways uh, later on. So uh, it wasn't until the aircraft crash that we picked that up. And we, That's when that thing went crazy. Yeah. When we had an angel go down. Yep. I mean. Well, I mean, it tripped everything. I mean, I mean every sensor we had. Even the reporters know. Yeah. Because they count them going out and they count them coming back in. And if, they, if the one doesn't come back in, then they're, it's not, they're just like, well, where's your... It's not what is he doing. He's like, well, do you, we know you got one out. Well, we had ISR, yeah. you know, at that time. So you've got a predator, you know, that's there, you know, and, and so now we we understand we're looking for something, you know, and uh, so the 47 goes down and uh, uh, turbine 3-3. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at that point, uh, you know, we're like, okay, we have an aircraft down. Like, that's a PR event. Lock, stop, like, we're... So we just declared an event from the Joint Personnel Recovery Center, which was, we just ran herd right over the top of every cat. All yeah, they the, gave you all the green light, right? Oh, well, it, we, we, 
you know, there isn't such thing as being a line stepper. That was like, we just threw the rule book out. Like, is all right. That's you know, Rick James, right? That's habitual line. <laughs> you know, right? so we, we, we declared a PR event. Everybody's like, whoa, who dare, you know, how dare you? These are, you know, like, we got this. It's like, clearly you do not have this. Your plan A failed, your plan B has failed, and you're not able not to reconstitute. Mm-hmm. You're, you need to take a timeout. Right, we're gonna we're gonna send some folks up there, and we we need to get a hold of this At situation. At that time, did you know that there were two birds that had gone out and one turned back? Yeah, it's a formation, so they okay. register on the ATR, the air tra- air, air air tasking order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure those were task force birds, and they weren't. Then, uh, gosh, you know, I can't recall if I knew it while they were in flight uh, because I'm they, they were they were scheduled for alert, but they were groundborn. So when they took off, um, I don't know if they checked in to because sometimes you have mechanical failure or whatever. But generally speaking, they don't fly single ship. Mm-hmm. So you know you've got an aircraft in the zone, you've got another aircraft pulling security. I was too. I was always a yeah. warbird there, yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the you know. So we 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 understood that. Um, so when that happened, uh, I w- had been uh, piecing together some artifacts. Um, that I was able to gain through our sensor platforms. And those artifacts, um, were, I overlaid them on a topographical map. Uh, some old school, you know, kind of, you know, uh, space stuff. But, um, you know, every platform, regardless of elevation, um, when it picks up an emanation, uh, it, it, there is an inter- energy signature um, that... If you kind of reverse it, you kind of I have an idea of what altitude it's flying at. I have an understanding of where it was, um, and then I can get an idea of like uh, it's great, it's great grazing angle, right? And it makes like an ellipse on the ground. Um, so it's the same thing if you're going to shoot up in the air and you know your bullets are going to land in a, an ellipse generally. Um, and so using that, I was able then to kind of determine, okay, I've got a single frequency. Um, I, you know, I have certain cuts that are look like one thing and other cuts that look a lot like something else. Um, when I say that, I mean like they're, you know, some are maybe voice or beacon or whatever. Uh, they're different characters. Um, and so uh, I was able then to kind of look at something and go, you know, um, what I feel like is that I've got somebody on the run. And I'm really certain that this is an American because of the way they're, where they're running, right, and how they're running. Um, and so this communications log um, essentially gave me enough information to have a, a confidence factor that I had at least one survivor, one. And because of the coding and everything, I was fairly certain I only had, I had one radio. But what I didn't know, um, you know, like, if it was captured equipment, um, generally, our enemy is not going to move away from the incident mm-hmm. to signal, right? So they're not going to lead us back to their lair mm-hmm. <laughs> with with our radio, right? That's that's poor form because you're going to get warheads and foreheads. So that's what gave me the confidence that w- was one of us. Not only that, but Marcus, uh, falling back on his training, at least to me, it appeared that he was running a military crest which um, is part of our, you know, kind of like this is a maneuver that you use to, sh- to uh, assure, you know, that you have a minimum signature. Whether you're uphill or downhill from somebody, 
that military crest um, kind of hides your movement yeah, from the enemy. And generally speaking, uh, if you're running a military crest, you're on the run. You're evading. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're moving into a target, and that wasn't the case. Right? Correct. So um, one of the big... That's why they call it that. Yeah. So one of the big frustrations that um, you know, we're going to have in the, all of this is we have absolutely no idea what equipment has been captured. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what equipment you know, they've retained. We have no idea how many survivors. There's a lot of unknowns. What we do know at this point is that there was a cell phone call made, a cell phone call made, and there was a helicopter burning. So as we wrap up this episode today, I wanted to take a moment to share with you kind of why we brought on this guest today, Jonathan Harmon. As some of you may know, Next week marks the anniversary of Operation Red Wings, a very significant event that really impacted a lot of great people out there. I believe it's crucial that we remember and pay tribute to all of the brave men and women out there who've sacrificed their lives to protect our freedom. One way that we can do that is to carry out their stories with us and continue to honor their legacy. So with that being said, thank you, Jonathan, for coming out and joining us today and opening up this conversation. Next week, we'll get into a bit more of the story that surrounded the operation itself. Thank you all the brave men and women out there who have served and are currently serving our country. And also, last but not least, thank all of you for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with the second half of Jonathan's story. So until then, take care and have a great week.